It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, TalkSport's chief football correspondent, Alex Crook, and the former Benfica, Chelsea, West Ham, and Charlton left-back, FA Cup winner extraordinaire, Scott Minto. So Manchester City hold a one hand on the side of the Premier League trophy now. Can anyone rip it from their grasp? Well, not Arsenal, because they're going underground after a home defeat to Brighton ended their title charge. At the bottom of the table, Southampton have finally been relegated to the Championship. They're the first casualty from the Premier League this season. Who is going to join them? We'll debate that. And after quite a quiet little weeks about the managerial situation at Chelsea. As we told you on this podcast, Maurizio Pochettino will be sitting behind the manager's desk at Stamford Bridge. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. And a very good morning, uh, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world to the Game Day podcast. Scott Minto, hello. Uh, Alex Crook, hello. I'm in a hotel room in West London and uh, Alex Crook isn't here, which is great <laughs> news for me. And for the cleaning staff, uh, because they won't have to mop up the remnants of any late night food that he has devoured <laughs> in a bed. Scandalous. Um, I, it's not scan- it was scandalous that you left it in the bed. Yeah, Harsh correct. but true. Who eats a kebab in a bed? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd just like to set the floor for a second, if I can. Um, I don't know if our friends uh, back at base, uh, Jeremy and Joe, have, have got the ability to put in some sad music here. Uh, but personally, I'd like to give Arsenal an end-of-term report. Without doubt, the most improved in class. You won't hear anyone on this podcast suggest for one minute that they bottled the title race. Arsenal have got 81 points, already the most that they have got in a season for 15 years. Only once have they had more points at this stage of a Premier League season, and that was in the 2003-2004 title winning season, the Invincibles year. But to the supporters, yesterday, guys, not cool. Not cool. What you did last night was out of order. Leaving before the end. Now, it may be that the public transport in this country is not particularly great. And I would concur with you that that is the case. Now, it may be that many of you have got to get up this morning and, and, you know, you had stuff to do. Okay, fine. But for the majority, that's not cool. It's not cool. After what Arteta and his team have done this season, it was going to end if it was going to end like it did in a thrashing at home, at least inject some gallows humour, ironic chanting, then maybe a little bit of support for the team that has transformed before your eyes. Compare this to last season when this was a team that slipped out of the top four away at Newcastle. Couldn't even get into the Champions League places. And you chased the title until the last three games of the season. That's a massive, massive improvement. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it really hurts. We understand that. But come on. Mikhail Arteta hasn't made every decision right and you made a big one wrong. You walked out and you should be better than that. 
What do you think, boys? I see where you're coming from. I do see where you're coming from, but it's um, it's a heck of a way to officially lose the title going down 3-0 at home, where, in, in fairness, you've been pretty imperious for much of the season. I won't use the word bottlers, you're right, because it has been a fabulous campaign for Arsenal. I don't think any of us had them even in the top four, let alone the top two at the start of the season. But I think it is possible to be a bit of both. It's possible to have overachieved, undoubtedly they have, but it's also possible to have lost a little bit of nerve when the biggest prize is at your fingertips. Because, okay, they lost at Manchester City. A lot of teams do that. Drawing 3-3 at home to Southampton, who have just clocked a club record for the most defeats in the league season, takes some doing. 2-0 up at West Ham, not winning that game, takes some doing. Even 2-0 up at Liverpool and not managing to see it out, I think was a, a hammer blow. So I do think nerves and pressure have caught up on them, but I also think they've overachieved. And I think the fans should have stuck it out and given them the the appreciation they deserved. Yeah, that, that was a lot of waffles against the fact that you thought the fans should have stayed. <laughs> Thanks for taking up all the time. Um, Scott, what do you think of the fans? I mean, you don't have to give us a whole resume and the, the results list from the season. Just tell us what you thought about uh, the fans leaving early. OK, I, I'll try and edit it down now. I mean, I, but I do agree with a lot of what Cricky said there, a lot. Um, no, you, you're spot on. But I think it's almost a bit sort of just resignation. And Arsenal haven't been here in this position for a very long time. I think you always want your fans to stay towards the end and what the fa- what the players and the manager have given the fans, and there seems to be a real unity now, is there's something special. It has been a special season despite them not winning. Incredibly disappointing. So, yeah, no, look, I, I'm, I'm with you on, on the walking out. Just when the players have given you everything, almost everything, towards the end of the season and there's only been these two teams that are left in the title race you leave before the end and I, look they were at, we can talk about the game uh, in a sec but they were absolutely outclassed from the first minute to the last maybe there was a five minute spell just before half time and I think the Arsenal fans knew what was coming in terms of the title race I think they're disappointed but you know I didn't realise you were going to start with this, Sam, but I think it's a very good point, actually, because I think the fans should have had some kind of gallows humour, really, and, and, and turned it around because it has been a very, very good season. We'll get stuck into the game in just a second, but maybe it's a sort of cultural thing at uh, Arsenal. Um, just get out before the end. Uh, Manchester City inches away from reclaiming their Premier League title after that 3-0 defeat at home for Arsenal by brilliant Brighton. The clock is ticking in the Premier League campaign, but so much to be decided, hearts to be broken, and dreams to be made. And it comes to Christensen on the volley, and in it's Leeds 2, Newcastle 2. It could be the goal that contributes. To lead staying in the Premier League. And it's a big one for Forest. Chelsea 2, Nottingham Forest 2, Tywell Wanyi. Southampton are relegated. It's a club record, 24th league defeat of the season. Southampton 0, Fulham 2. Crystal Palace 2, Bournemouth 0, a brace for Eze. And my goodness, what a quality goal. Louise to curl it, and it's in. Goal keeper got a hand to it, but he couldn't keep it out. Massive victory. 
Aston Villa in the fight for Europe. And Anthony is through on goal, squares it to Martial who scores. It's a deserved goal. Brentford have been terrific. Johan Visser has a goal. Brentford have two. Brentford two, West Ham nil. They've made it 11 Premier League victories in a row with a 3-0 victory here at Goodison. It's finished Arsenal nil, Brighton three. And this, you feel, is where Arsenal's title challenge comes to an end. If Manchester City beat Chelsea next Sunday, they will win the title once again. Well, Roberto De Zerbi promised that we would see the very best ber version of Brighton in the game after what was an Everton debacle, and he wasn't lying. I mean, this was a terrific performance, I thought, uh, by Brighton. Full of swagger, brilliant wing play. Matoma was terrific. He started on one side, ended up on the other. He ripped Ben White a new one on a couple of occasions. He was absolutely superb in the game. Esther Pinyan gets his first goal. He deserved it because over the course of the season, he's been terrific as well. And he had one illegally chalked off against Crystal Palace earlier in the campaign. But where do we stand on the knee sliding down the touchline after the third goal from Roberto, uh, Roberto De Zerbi? Are we having that or what? I don't mind it. And and this will be... Of course you it, It'll be hypocritical because there'll be Arsenal fans saying if that was Arteta, you'd be going mad asking for an FA ban, but it was a brilliant performance, probably the best performance of his tenure and maybe even the best performance since Brighton came into the Premier League. And to do that after being thrashed 5-1 at home by Everton, I think tells you all you need to know about the Zerbi and the character of this Brighton team. So, yeah, I was all in favour. Yeah, Scott, were you having that down the touchline? I mean, if it had been Mikel Arteta or it had been Jose Mourinho, everyone would be writing headlines saying it was disrespectful. But, you know, because it's Roberto De Zerbi and he's the, the flavour of the month right now, everyone goes, oh, this is brilliant. I'll be honest with you. On on, on the one hand, you know, and, and now I'm out the game sort of looking at it and as a as a fan and a spectator, you know, he's colourful, isn't he? He adds character. From a, There's no doubt about that. From yeah. a purely football point of view, I'm, I'm not having it. You know, you, you're three and up. You've been great. Okay, well done. You know, have a little bit of. I, I don't. I'll, I'll, I've got to choose the word carefully because I don't want to say he's not, but you almost just want to have a bit more class and, and sort of say, yeah, that was fantastic. You know, we did really well. We were superb. I mean, I, Cookie's right. You know, it's arguably their best performance in the Premier League, let alone this season. And then can you argue that's one of Brighton's best? How far do you want to go back? You know, considering where they are and they're in the top flight, one of their best performances ever in the history of Brighton. You know, let's, let's get really dramatic about it. But what I would say is that was as good a performance against Arsenal as City's recently was against Arsenal. And City were absolutely mm. superb. Yeah, and also it's becoming a bit of a habit for Brighton to go to the Emirates and win games. I think they've picked up, is it four wins in five trips to the Emirates now, which is particularly impressive, really, bearing in mind Arsenal's rise during that period under Arteta. He seems to have Arteta's number, Roberto De Zerbi. He did admit after the game that he thinks that Moises Caicedo and Alex, Alexis McAllister will end up leaving this summer. Um, but do you understand that they will manage that sort of departure and that they won't break up the entire squad, squad um, Crook? It will be a slow sort of churn of talent rather than a, a massive exodus. Yeah, I would expect Matoma um, to actually sign a new contract because I think he'll be another player that's in demand. And even Estepinian, who's not been there very long, but he already looks a better player than Mark Kukurea. But they're planning for this, as you say. I, th I think it's the first time publicly that De Zerbi has really come out and said he expects those two to leave. But they've already signed Jao Pedro to bolster their attack. They've got James Milner uh, pretty much signed up as well. And they're looking uh, to Borussia Dortmund and their midfielder, uh, Mamou Dahoud, to come in and, and maybe compensate for 
for Caicedo's departure. So we know from Brighton they have this incredible ability to regenerate. I guess the question is, how long can they keep doing that? But they're going to get decent money for those two. You're probably talking £150 million combined. Yeah, and uh, I thought yesterday in particular, Caicedo was terrific. Um, there was a couple of naughty challenges in this game as well. It was quite spicy, wasn't it? I was surprised to look back and see that it was only three on-car, on-field yellow cards. There was a, a yellow card for Mikel Arteta as well. But it was quite a sort of spicy affair. Uh, Andy Maddy could have brought out the uh, the yellow card on a couple more occasions, maybe more than that. There was a nasty challenge early on on Matoma, I thought, from Martinelli, uh, which uh, looked like it was a 50-50 with the naked eye. But when you watch the replay... It wasn't very nice at all, Scott. Uh, I'm 100% with you, Sam. I thought, if anything, that's a red. You know, he, he's not looked at him. He's used his shoulder um, and arm to go into him. He's caught him in the face. You could argue it's a, it's a winger's tackle, trying to protect himself. You could also argue it's a cowardly tackle. I thought it was really poor, and, and Matoma did really well to get back off the floor. Um, Kai Sado, as Roy Keane was saying, you know, you did it to my mate, I'm going to do this to you. So <laughs> Finish the game for him. Have it. a bit of that. Um, and, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I, I, I don't think it was malicious for Martinelli, but I think if you look at it and you, you watch it and it looks even worse in, in replays and slow motions, I think it's a red card. Yeah, it probably was malicious from Caicedo, though, yeah. especially seeing as he walked away from the challenge and slapped hands, high five style, with Matoma, as if to say, don't worry, I've got your back, fella. <laughs> it's OK. Um, Arsenal have won just two of the last seven games. Saka has had a dip in form. He looks exhausted um, at the back end of the season. Uh, will Mikel Arteta have to take a little bit of responsibility here, Crook, for not rotating Saka more often? Let's be honest, he played eight Europa League games. Was that entirely necessary? No, it wasn't, especially when a lot of Arsenal fans were saying after they lost to, to Sporting that it was a blessing in disguise. So, yeah, I think there's a little bit of naivety. It also highlights a lack of squad depth. But I think if, if you're looking for the, the big factor in Arsenal's demise, Arsenal falling away, you can't really look too much further than that injury to William Saliba, which was also in that Europa League game against Sporting. So that Europa League campaign was quite costly in more ways than one because they just haven't looked the same defensive unit without him. Uh, they need strengthening in terms of depth, don't they? That's going to be the big job now for Edu, for Mikel Arteta over the course of the summer. Yeah, no, they do. I mean, I I, I think there's one player and he's not like a, an absolute standout player has, has been injured and everyone's kind of fallen a bit like a pack of cards. And I think I felt a bit sorry for, for Rob Holding. I thought he was scapegoated a bit of it. Look, he's not in the same class as Saliba and... He probably shouldn't be in a starting eleven of a team chasing a Premier League title. But please, everyone else, stand up. I mean, Gabriel, what's happened to you since? Why do we need to be saying, oh, he's not quite the same without Saliba? Well, you be the senior centre-back. You know, and then Thomas Partey as well. Um, Martin Odegaard, his stats are great over the season. But I think in the business end of the season, he wasn't quite there. Saka was tired. Martinelli a little bit too. So, look, I think the reason why I stuck with City all the way is because mentally they've been there. And you're right to say about, you know, Saliba was a blow. Arsenal needed every single player fit for every single minute of every single match in their top form to try and get past this Manchester City side, who I would go as far as to say is probably the best side. I don't mean necessarily in this particular season, but over a period of five or six years, the best side we've ever seen in English football. 
And I, Ooh, I, and, and, a bit of recency bias. I think you're starting a fight there with Alex Crook and the Manchester United fans. Let's let's go um, at some point on another podcast on that. But what's that do it now? We've got a whole done. summer to fill, and we, we we definitely need to use subjects like this to fill it. So let's <laughs> let's let's you know, you put your gloves away, boys. Stand in opposite corners. You can get it on later in the summer, and it will all end in a bed with a kebab. Uh, Everton nil, Manchester City three. Um, only four changes for Pep. I think I was a bit surprised by that. I thought that Haaland would be rested, but then I remembered that he was trying to go for Dixie Dean's record and he's made another step towards that. Also, Man City have only used 23 players in the Premier League this season, which I think is the lowest. They've only got 24. Of the, of the, of the 20 <laughs> Premier League teams. So uh, I think it shows actually that, that maybe in some ways, and we all thought it could be a negative when Arsenal were well clear at the top, getting rid of the likes of Jesus and Zinchenko and, and having this smaller pool to choose from maybe has worked to their advantage because you sort of know what the lineup is going to be obviously you change the three in behind Haaland but apart from that it was a pretty consistent side yeah we, we did say a couple of weeks ago though when we're going into the Champions League sort of running that we thought it was a good thing for Pep Guardiola yeah. we, we said it ahead of the Bayern Munich game I remember saying you know a few years ago we were always worrying about what he was going to do when it came to the big match what pieces he was going to change, what inventive new formation he was going to come up with. But ultimately, he's almost prevented from doing that because the team picks itself now. Um, yes, there were changes at the weekend, but it is from a smaller pool. And actually, I think we, we, we could probably name 10 of the starting 11 when it comes to Wednesday night, couldn't we, Scott? Yeah, we could. But don't forget what we're saying here is on one hand, Arsenal have been using the same amount of players too often. And yet for City, they're using the same amount of players. Yeah, but he's rotated them a slightly different way, well, hasn't he? And he's made sure... I mean, Diaz, for example, didn't play in the first half of the season, pretty much. Laporte's hardly played uh, during the course of the first uh, six months of the season. So when they've needed to come in, and Diaz has been a massive, massive asset to them in the second half of the season, then they're starting to purr. I mean, Foden's been in and out of the team all season. Yeah, but that, that I mean, De Bruyne lot, hasn't played every game. A lot of those have been injuries, haven't they? I mean, De Bruyne, yeah. Well, some of them have been injuries. Yeah. yeah. So, some of them have been rested as so well. So it's been, it's, been, it's been forced upon him. But... What I just think in terms of going back to Arsenal is that, and they've got to be careful, the negative is they might not have a better chance for you know a good few years because I do believe the rest of the teams will get better. But mentally, yeah. when you haven't been in that position before and now they have, they know what they need to do. And that's the difference here that City have. And they've been there before and providing everyone's fit. I mean, look, you say about we know everyone who's going to play. That's really folding out the side. So how well has Jack Grealish done to sort of make himself as a, a starting eleven now? Look, I That's think the job, right? Though, if you're a hundred million pound player, you make yourself indispensable. Well, I, I don't like talking about players and how much they've been bought for because that's nothing to do with them. You can maybe compare them the salaries they're on because that that's what they're asked for and they got to justify that. But still, you, you're trying to get Mares and um, in front of Mares and Foden and and Bernardo Silva and all those type of players as well. And Jack Grealish, to be fair to him, has done that. Look, he's been great. City have been great. But I I was surprised, to be honest with you, Sam. And I'd be surprised if Pep was thinking about the Dixie Dean record because I, I think it's not about personal records. I think Pep is so ruthless. It's about we've got a chance of winning the treble here. And I was slightly surprised, although I will never doubt Pep Guardiola, because if he picked up an injury, Harlan, then there, there could have been a problem. There was three or four absolutely key players that need to be playing in that Real Madrid side against that uh, Real Madrid side in midweek, and Haaland was one of them. De Bruyne was another. Carl Walker's another as well, and and, and Edison's. I mean, you could name a, a few others. But look, he did it. I think if he'd have known what would have happened if the Arsenal game was before the Brighton game, he would have made more changes. 
but he didn't know that. So they, they got the win. It was a great win. And how good is Ilko Gundogan, by the way? Well, I mean, what a goal. What what an end to the season this player is having. I mean, he's out of contract in the summer. He looks a little bit like a uh, slightly more live and athletic Alex Crook. Um, <laughs> surely City will uh, look to extend uh, the, the contract. I mean, he has been linked with Barcelona quite heavily, actually. But speaking to the guys in and around Barcelona this week, I mean, their situation is so uncertain. They're not going to be able to make those big decisions about getting a free contract like Gundogan in on big wages until very late in the day. Is he going to wait around for that or is he going to find somewhere else or are Manchester City going to go for him? But he does look like a a man going out in style at this moment in time, Crook. Well, he always seems to come good in May. We, we had a, a, a text uh, during commentary yesterday for TalkSport International saying always captain Gundogan in May because he comes up with some massive goals and, and massive performances. I, I think I'm told his camp are quite keen on the Barcelona project, but as you say, they've got all kinds of financial issues, especially if they're trying to facilitate Lionel Messi's return. I think Man City would be crazy not to try and keep him because he's he's the heartbeat. You know, he wears the captain's armband, he scores goals, he can do that defensive role. He's a, he's a very intelligent footballer. He did say to me, actually, uh, when we were in Munich, that uh, one of the problems might be the fact that his physical condition might not be able to stand up to the rigours of the Premier League again. It is sort of one of those things that he, it has taken its toll on him. He's in his early 30s now, but he was like puffing his cheeks. I go, there's a lot of factors here, you know, we're, we're talking, but... You know, I don't know if my physical condition is going to be good enough to be able to play for Pep in this sort of situation going forward. And that that's a, a bit of a concern, I suppose, for him. But ultimately, his talent outweighs that, doesn't it, Scott? Sam, I've got a question for Crookie. Why has it been left so late that City haven't gone in this position and, and signed him? I mean, it tells me that City must want him. And even if he is getting a little bit on and feeling tired, well, I'm sorry, 20 games of Gundogan in your side can still help you win trophies. It, yep. it must be that he wants the different lifestyle thing. Because, look, Barcelona w- winning the La Liga and that, and uh, but and they're Barcelona, but they're a million miles away from what Manchester City are. But, look, it's lifestyle. I had my stag week in Barcelona. I loved it. I loved the place. And, and who wouldn't want to live there? You know, is that is that your job as a estate agent sort of uh, audition going on there? Because the good one, don't worry, I can tell you where to go and live. I've I've, I've been this place and my stag do. I've also been to Ibiza quite a lot. You could, <laughs> you could, you could, you could live there and it's commute definitely to closer to Ibiza than than uh, the Manchester. <laughs> I think you're right though. I think what we know about Pep Guardiola and City as a club is is they're quite accommodating, you know, to players who've served them well when they want to move on. We saw that with Jesus and Zinchenko and Raheem Sterling last summer. So I, I think that there was certainly a stage a few weeks ago where Gundogan, hence his conversation with Sam, was leaning towards leaving. But who knows if he can keep this going at the end of the season, maybe there might be a, a school for a rethink on his side. Uh, Calvin Phillips got his customary 90 seconds. He led the Twitter vote for Manchester City <laughs> player of the season, right? So the club actually had to move it off Twitter. They put the final three of Ake, De Bruyne and Haaland to a website vote because basically the vote was hijacked by Leeds United fans. Uh, so they thought, right, this is this is getting silly. Everyone was talking about it. We were getting loads of messages about it. In the end, they just were like, no, we need to move this away. Producer and Jeremy loved it as well, didn't he, Sam? He did. He was voting. Yeah. He voted 15,000 times, I think, for, for Calvin Phillips over the course of uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, we should talk about Everton because Calvert-Lewin came off with a groin tightness, mm. let's say that. Um, that's a real worry, isn't it? I mean, 45 minutes on the clock. 
He actually played quite well in the game. They looked all right for the first half an hour before they conceded those two goals in 90 seconds, which changed the course of the match. They didn't want to risk him. And I understand that because they've got big games to come. But, but they looked a completely different side without him. I'm sceptical about the groin injury. They were 2-0 down. I think Sean Dyche knew they weren't going to get back into it. And we know that Dominic Calvert-Lewin is made of glass. I think they took the decision, look, let's just rest him so that he's fully refreshed for the, the final two games of the season. Interesting, interesting. Because I suggested that. I was doing a Sunday session yesterday with Mickey Gray. And when the news came through that Calvert-Lewin was being replaced at half-time, I said, is there any hope here that it is just a tactical decision? And Mickey blew his cheeks out. And he was like, no way, this can't happen. You can't. You can't take him out of the team at this stage. And I thought, well, look, they're losing 2-0 to Manchester City. This is a team that don't score that many goals. I know they just pumped Brighton five, but they ain't going to score five again. They ain't going to score two again, let alone the three that they would need to win the match. So actually, does it make more sense just to leave him on the sidelines and then use him for the games against Wolves and Bournemouth and hope that that that's enough to, to get over the line, Scott? Do you know what? Chaps, it's a, it's a really interesting point, isn't it? When I first heard, and I, I thought, like Mickey, no, you know, there's no way that's tactical. He's one of your best players. And since he's coming to the side, they have looked a different side. But they're up against Manchester City, the best team in the world. You're 2-0 down. You know, are, are you going to do anything? And, and as Crookie says, a guy who just has a massive history of injury problems, history of injury problems. So... I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if Sean just said, you know what, sit it out. We're going to lose this one. We need you in the last two games. Wolves away, Bournemouth at home. I once spoke to a coach at Everton to sort of try and ascertain why he has so many injury problems. And, I, you know, they've been through everything with him. You know, how he sleeps, what car he drives, what chair he sits in, what stretches he does before the game. They've analysed everything about him. And it, I think it's, in the end, they've sort of come down on the side that it's genetics, it's, it's load. He his body is just not, hasn't got the, the ability at this stage to, to take the rigours of top-level Premier League football with the regularity that you need to be able to compete at the top level on a week-to-week basis. And, and that's why he's vulnerable to injury. It's nothing to do with diet because he, he lives his life in the, exactly the right way. He approaches everything in the right way. He trains perfectly. He does what you're supposed to do as a Premier League footballer. But yet his body, I think, in the end, has just let him down. Scott. Sam, I... I, I... You know, I look at my career and um, and I definitely went through, once I sort of left Charlton and went into the Premier League, um, struggled with injuries, you know, in pretty much almost every season, bar the season I won the Cup with, with Chelsea. Did you win the Cup? Did you win the FA Cup? <laughs> I've got the medal. Do you want, me, do you want to see? <laughs> next time, yeah, next time. Yeah, it's just a medallion there. Um, <laughs> and, and it can't be a coincidence. And I, I look back now and I think to myself, you know, I think I played about 200 odd games while I was at Charlton. I think I only played another 200 games in the 10 years that followed. So I, I struggled big time. Now, sports science and the diet wasn't quite there. And let's just say, you know, I used to like a night out every now and again. And that was fun. So could I improve? <laughs> talking the past tense. Last week was a long way away. <laughs> Could I improved a bit in that? Then yes. But still, I still think my body struggled with the rigours of Premier League football. Now, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is, is six foot four and he's, he's built like he's built. I, I, I'd be 100% surprised if that's the case. I think he probably can tweak certain things. Uh, and I wonder whether mentally he's one of those players where if he gets something, he doesn't want to play if he's got a niggle. Um, I don't know. But it, it, it could be that. But where we live in now with sports science... They've got to try and be the best they can be. But but I, I completely empathise with that. 
Uh, Roy Keane not holding back in his criticism of Jordan Pickford uh, as a goalkeeper. Was was that harsh? I thought he made one particularly good save in the game. I, mean, I didn't like the sort of Arsene Wenger on the beach pose when he uh, went down low to save uh, Rodri's shot to his right-hand side. Looked a little bit as if he was like going to have a little wink and say, hi, girls, it's me, Jordan. Um, that was a bit OTT. Uh, but um, the free kick wasn't his side, was it? Well, I did, I did say in commentary, I was doing the game with Trevor Stephen and uh, it was fairly obvious that Gundogan was going was to take the shot on. Um, and I did say to him, could Pickford have done better? It could be, because it didn't feel like the most ferocious free kick in the world. He almost sort of caressed it into that top corner. The second goal, it, it looks bad, but I think point blank range against Haaland, Pickford's gambled that he's going to go to his left. Obviously, he didn't. He went to the right and Pickford ends up looking a bit foolish. But yeah, I would be a little bit critical about the free kick. Um. I was listening to Shea Given talk about it and he sort of marked out the zones. This is the goalkeeper's zone on the left-hand side. This is the wall zone. The wall didn't do its job. Mickey Gray thought that the wall had actually taken a step back during the uh, the build-up to it as if like, the referee had gone down, marked down the sort of 10 yards where the wall should be. And then for some reason, what, so they'd sort of adjusted themselves and stepped back an extra yard. And maybe that gave Gundogan the opportunity to get it up and over and into that, that corner. Um, but um, the Haaland goal, I actually thought the marking was terrible yeah. for that because they'd left Haaland free inside the penalty area. And, you know, if you're waiting for Pickford to come out and try and deal with that, I mean, you've made a mistake in the first place, haven't you, in leaving Haaland free? Well, absolutely. You've got to get touch tight. You've got to make sure, even if you're not going to win the header, that he doesn't win the header and you sort of almost jump into him a little bit early and, and they weren't anywhere near him. But what I would say about Gundogan, I mean, one thing, yes, I do think it was harsh what Roy Keane said about Pickford, but I do think Pickford is one of those. He's a bit marmite with his personality, isn't he? You know, you want oh, yeah. you want your keepers yeah. to be yeah. confident, but sometimes he can be like, you know, he's on the edge. He's on the edge, and maybe there's certain people, should we say, who perhaps don't have a loads of patience, who are quite ready to have a go at someone when they seem to be making a mistake. But I, 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 yeah. I just think the Gundogan Great thing, I, I, the first goal, just absolutely sensational. The second goal. That was a cross of someone who's got a wand of a left foot. He put it inch yeah. perfect. And then obviously the third goal with a free kick, and it's a good word that Crookie uses, he caressed it. He, he's still with the inside of his foot, pace and precision, and Pickford had no chance. It'd be interesting to see what happens in terms of uh, the relegation pitcher now because they lost a couple of goals in the uh, the goal difference race that they racked up against Brighton. So things looked a little bit healthier for them. Now they've slipped back towards where Leeds are. There's only a point between them and Leeds at the top of uh, the uh, the relegation zone. And if Leicester were to win on Monday night, then Everton would be back in the bottom three. And after that brilliant sort of vibe that came out of their trip to the seaside, all of a sudden they'll feel quite flat if Leicester end up jumping above them. In fact, Everton will be supporting Liverpool on Monday night, which is a weird thing for them to be to be doing. Uh, Brentford beat West Ham by two goals to nil. We'll just do this quickly. I mean, the big story here is about Ivan Tony. He he didn't play in the game and reports are that his ban could be decided too. I wonder if that'll have a big impact on any sort of move that he is prepared to make in the summer. I mean, West Ham made nine changes for the game. I mean, I totally get it because as far as they're concerned, they're mathematically safe. I mean, the maths would have to be Einstein-esque in order to sort of uh, change the course of history and West Ham drop to the championship. But it wasn't 100% certain and it wasn't a great performance, actually. The big talking point from the game, I think, is the handball decision. Um, when West Ham look as if they've got a goal back and it's um, ruled out because Mbama touches it with his arm as it comes back off the post. 
the laws of the game say that the goal should only have been ruled out if uh, there was a deliberate handball in the build-up to the goal. That was not deliberate handball. There's no, there's no way that that can be deemed as deliberate handball. Um, the officials got it wrong. Also, it would have to be in the immediate act before a goal is scored. And it wasn't because it went back out of the six-yard box and came back into to Danny Ings. So the application of the law by the referee and the VAR was completely wrong in that situation. West Ham should have got a goal. I'm not saying it would have changed anything. It doesn't really matter because West Ham are already safe and Brentford, you know, they, they, they're, they were going to probably win the game anyway. But it's just crap. It's just utter <laughs> crap. I mean, it's just terrible, terrible officiating. Um, by the way, Howard Webb is going to be on White and Jordan uh, between 10 and 1 on Tuesday morning to answer some of those questions uh, about uh, the VAR and its application and some of the decisions that have happened over the weekend. Uh, that's the best of Sunday's action. Now let's turn our attention to the battle at the bottom of the Premier League, starting with a chaotic game at Ellen Road. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides, and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Leeds 2, Newcastle 2. This game summed up by a mental 90 seconds where Leeds could have gone 2 0 up and moved so far away from danger that they almost felt as if they were getting a ticket to safety. And then, literally in the blink of an eye, they found themselves at 1-1. I was there for this one, and it was absolutely crackers. And speaking to Sam Allardyce afterwards, he thought it was crackers too. The individual errors really cost Leeds United. Furpo, terrible. Bamford, the miss, actually created the first goal and played well in general play. But actually in front of goal, he just looked just shot of confidence. And Verber. Big Sam spent all week telling them, don't dive in, stay on your feet, don't dive in, stay on your feet. Yet that seems, Scott Minto, to be their default mechanism. The fullbacks in particular, Furpo and Ailing, just can't stop diving in. Yeah, and, and, and you've got a feel for Big Sam, haven't you? Because he's come in, he's wanting to try and do certain things. He knows his formula of getting something out of a game. And to be fair, it's, it's a point, Sam, that you know beforehand perhaps wouldn't have expected or you know a week or two ago, you're thinking going to lose the next two games it's the last two games where they'll define themselves so to get a point is brilliant but yeah I mean look the, the big moment was was Patrick Bamford's missed penalty and I think all the the Leeds fans Jeremy included was talking about Rodrigo and why is he not taking it and, and he's missed well, he should he should have taken it Rodrigo shouldn't have taken it. he's the top scorer he's got a 100% record from the spot 
Bamford's missed four of his nine penalties taken. Why on earth is Rodrigo not pulling rank here and saying, fella, you're a nice bloke, but we need to score the penalty? Yeah. And do you know what? Credit for, to Bamford for stepping up. Anybody steps up to take a penalty. I... No, no, no credit for no, to Bamford no, no, no. To, to step Sam, up. No, Sam. because in, in that situation, it's too critical and he should have handed it over he, to someone who's better at it than he him. He believed that he was going to do it and it would be... He didn't, it would be... He didn't believe. You could tell by okay. the way he was standing on the edge of the you, penalty area. You, you, you know him then. You, you've spoken to him. He didn't believe. He stepped him, up. Yeah. He wanted the miss. He was wanting Newcastle. He had two two. No, he had no, two, two don't two twist with, it. Uh, with don't Labrooks. twist it. You're turning into Crook and Durham circa 2017. <laughs> look, the, the truth is, is that if you have look, listen, he's got ability. He's a very good player. He obviously is. I'm not one of these that turns around and says he's rubbish. He's this. He's that. And obviously, we know he's been through a really tough time in terms of he's got online abuse, and that's been, I think, affected him. But I don't think in this circumstances, and it was an intelligent decision for that player who didn't look confident to me and I was 50 yards away to take on the responsibility of a whole club in scoring a second goal at that point. If you really are that clever and intelligent and tactically aware, you need to know your limitations too, right, Crook? And ultimately, pass it over to someone who's got a 100% record, someone who's supremely confident, give them the ball and let them get the job done. Because actually, it's not about him, it's about Leeds United. And maybe that sums up Patrick Bamford uh, because you know I've got a little thing about him. I think he's speaks too much. I didn't like the way that he tried to chuck Jesse Marsh under a bus after he was sacked. I think for somebody who's missed big chances and that being another one, he just has too much to say for himself. And uh, I think it's an issue for Patrick Bamford. I think it's an issue for Lees that Junior Firpo is arguably the worst defender in the Premier League. I mean, what is going through his head? It's a good point on the face of it because it was so chaotic. But what will frustrate Sam Allardyce is they had the opportunity there to go and get so much more. And they just they just caused their own downfall and their own destruction. Mm. Leeds weren't very good in the uh, Leeds. Newcastle weren't even very good in the game. No, they weren't. Uh, Can I honest. finish? Go on then. Yeah, yeah. Because you kind You've of only got forty five minutes, Scott. And then and then you threw the question to Crookie, and then you're trying to move on. So look, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I'm not disagreeing what you're saying. He should not have taken the penalty. And actually, you can you can argue Big Sam. He should have taken authority over it and said, no. I thought you were going to say he should have taken the penalty. Well, maybe he should have done. <laughs> you can even argue the case where if he's, if he's lacking that much in confidence, what's he doing starting in the first place? You know, so Big Sam's seen something in training. He obviously likes him. He obviously feels confident enough. I personally would not have had Patrick Bamford taking that penalty. I just want people to know to step up and take the penalty. In those situations, you need bottle. And whether he believed it or not, any penalty taker... And, and a few have said it to me. Guys, Gimenietta, one of the best ever. Uh, Frank Lampard has said it to me. Always nervous stepping up. It's not that they don't get nervous, yeah. but but they feel the fear. They do it anyway. Credit and to him Scott, for stepping totally up, but I'm with you. with you that he shouldn't have taken it. I, I think you can. I think it's quite clear that you can have the comfort. The, 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 you could have the bottle to take a penalty, but also make the wrong decisions in doing it. I think there's there's two different factors there. Is that I don't believe that he should have taken the penalty because he should have been intelligent enough at that point to go around and say I'm not in the right position mentally to be able to do this. You don't know that, Sam. You don't know that. Isn't great. You don't know that. You don't know he no, wasn't in the I'm right position. He mentally. should be. You don't know well, he wasn't I, in the right position mentally. You don't know that. Did he score? Only, it doesn't matter. 
People can be in the right Did he position. just miss a chance from five that, that, yards? Whether you score or not, doesn't Did he just delete him. his social media because he got too much abuse for whether it? You, I'm guessing the right, evidence guessing, is pointing to the fact guessing. that he wasn't 100% confident. Yeah, we're all no guessing. No one's 100% don't know confident. Going on sort of in no. everybody's mind at every time, but we can all have an opinion on it. And from the outside, adding the evidence up, it didn't look like he was particularly confident. Well, listen, there'll be lots of people in that position taking... Jamie Vardy missed a penalty recently, didn't he? Uh, James mm-hmm. Madison has missed a penalty as well. They probably weren't 100% confident, but they stepped up and they took it. Look, I think we're actually arguing over the same thing, that we agree that you shouldn't have taken it. My point is, is that, you know, you've got someone like Rodrigo. He should have done. Big Sam should have stepped up. You two are piling in on Bamford. I don't necessarily disagree with that. But at the same time, I respect anyone who does step up and take it in those pressure situations. And, and so do I. I just wish you'd handed it over to somebody else because I think Leeds had a massive opportunity to put themselves safe. I tell you another team that could get themselves safe in the not too distant future because at Stamford Bridge at the weekend, we Chelsea drew with what team was it? Can't remember. Crookie, tell me, tell me, Crookie. Well, they, they give points to everybody. So, you know, you're going to have to narrow it down for me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Nottingham Forest got two goals at Chelsea to to get themselves within an inch of safety. Within an inch. Massive result for Forest off the back of their win on Monday night. Tywell won you. Very impressive. Gave Thiago Silva a hard time. It just shows what he can achieve when he's fit. He was at Liverpool for a really long time. Didn't fit in. Didn't get fit. Went out on loan a couple of times. Did very well at Union Berlin. Then came back to the Premier League with Nottingham Forest. Didn't start particularly well, but it's certainly ending particularly well and if they end up staying in the Premier League his goals in particular Crook are going to help them fired towards safety do you know what he reminds me of and actually we touched on on this great escape on the podcast on Friday Sunderland do you remember Connor Wickham from nowhere just started to score big goals at the end of that season he's never scored a goal since I don't think but I would compare him to Awanyi I still think they need a point Forrest you know you look at Leeds against West Ham West Ham probably will rest players again I think they can win that game I think Everton will pick up at least one more victory Forrest have got Arsenal at home at the weekend then they go to Palace away Palace in red hot form so I think it's still in the balance for Forrest so how many points have Forrest got? Uh, they're on 34, 34. are they? Mm. Ah, right, OK. And what was it you said to me a couple of weeks ago? 34 would definitely be enough to stay in the Premier League. Now you're revising that. I think I said 35, didn't I? You said 34. Okay. You've been saying 34. You said it'd be lower than that. It'd be lower than that because I keep giving you the average that 35 is the average over a 10-year period. Oh, it'd be low that year. In fact, I think there's a tweet, a tweet that you sent out saying that it was going to be a low total this year as well from about three or four weeks ago. And I was thinking at the time, it's not, it's not, it never is. Because weird things happen at the end of the season, which is why you end up getting those odd results where it goes just a little bit above the line. I think maybe 35 will be enough, maybe. But, you know, that's not not 100% sure either. But Nottingham Forest have given themselves a really good chance. And Steve Cooper's done a terrific job, Scott, hasn't he? When you think... He's taken them from bottom of the championship relegation fodder just over 18 months, 19 months ago. And now all of a sudden they're, they're going to stay in the Premier League. Well, they've got a great chance of staying in the Premier League. Yeah, and, and, and your prediction, you know, as much as it was going up and down, up and I down. I didn't want to mention you, it. I didn't you, want to mention I'll, I'll mention it on your behalf, Sam. Um, September. Yeah, yeah. Look, not just what he did last season, but the fact that... And a lot of players were, were leaving anyway, so a lot of players had to come in. But I think it was 23 players... And there were players who, again, I remember touching on it when I first sort of joined the podcast crew and saying, look, 
if I'm if I'm a left back and I'm coming in at the start of pre-season, then another left back comes in two weeks before the the start of the season or before the deadline, and he's in front of me. I'm suddenly disgruntled. I'm like, what? Why have I come here? So Steve Cooper's had to manage all that behind the scenes as well. Find his best team, keep the players who aren't playing as happy as possible with um, a club that hasn't been in the, the the Premier League for I don't know what was it nearly two, two decades that we're always going to be, if you finish 17th, that's a magnificent season. And look, the away form he's got to try and sort out. I think that's about quality as much as character. I think the home form shows that the the fan, home fans have, have helped them and get through so many situations. But you talk about getting towards the end of the season and strange results can happen. And obviously the strangest one is probably that Brighton one, Everton five. But at Forest, they've, they've beaten Brighton, they've beaten Brentford, they've drawn against Chelsea. I actually think it's a great time to play Arsenal right now, who will be, yeah. you know, so low at the moment. The, 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 the title's gone. And yeah, going back to Steve, I think he's done a fantastic job. But you also have to give credit to the hierarchy and the owner, who does have I'm a history. firing him. Absolutely. <laughs> well, one for hiring him. I two- actually think the, the chief executive who came in at the beginning of the, the season has done a very good job inserting himself in between Evangelos Marinakis mm-hmm. and uh, Steve Cooper. But also... You've got to give credit to Steve for managing upwards, Scott. No, absolutely. But you can only, you, you can, I'm sure he's great at managing upwards, but the owner and the chief exec has come in and he's obviously chipped away at the owner, but the owner has a history of sacking managers. And for him to keep the manager and not just keep the manager, but to give him, make a massive statement and give a long-term contract where, you know, I wasn't sure if they were going to be still sack him if they were in this position. I think there was the fact there were so many clubs in this position and they still had a good chance of 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 surviving. That was a reason to keep him. But you have to give credit to the owner, to the chief exec, to Steve Cooper and well done, the lads. And, and I actually do think they will survive now. Well, I hope so, um, because I won't let Crook forget it, uh, despite the fact that he's been trying to jive me for a good six months about it. Um, Steve Cooper, do you want to just pay tribute to him, Crook? Let's see at the end of the season. Okay. Uh, as for Thiago Silva, big banner for him at the end of the game. In fact, at the ground before the game, he admitted he might not remain at the end of the season. I mean, they should definitely let him go. He's 38. He wrote a big love letter on Instagram as well, which suggested that that was the last time that he will be at Stamford Bridge. And that's fair enough. He's been a good servant. He's won the Champions League. He's done his bit, but he's too old. And if you want to play, uh, if you want to become a progressive team, you need to push up to the halfway line. And he doesn't want to do that anymore. It's simple as that. And under Pochettino, there is going to be no sort of quarter given or asked in terms of standard and and, and decision made. So it's probably best, actually, isn't it, Scott? D- didn't his missus come out on Insta as well and say, well, we're staying? She said about Fluminese, I think. Yeah. I think she sort of indicated that Fluminese were interested. And then he sort of said after the game, there's nothing sorted. I thought I we'll thought I read somewhere that she had said, we're staying in London. So Did she? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's what I, I read. Know. Maybe it's competing, competing fake Tiago Silva's Mrs. Uh, accounts on social media. <laughs> you know, this is uh, this is how bad social media is, right? This is not. It wasn't on Insta, by the way. I don't, I don't, I didn't see it on that. I just saw it in an article online. All oh, right, okay. Uh, well, listen. Someone actually uh, set up a Twitter account in my wife's name with a picture of my wife, and we had to we had to write to Twitter and get them to take it down. And my missus had to send off the passport to say, <laughs> no, no. That's really not me. This is me on this account, not that one. Wow. Yeah, so someone just set it up under her name and was tweeting, pretending to be her. It was just, I mean, first of all, why would you do that? Like, 
why would you do that? Um, and secondly, where did you get the information from? That's what I can't Cookie, why did you do it, mate? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, there are two Sam Matterfaces on Twitter as well, but one's called Sam Matterface, one's called Ryland Clark. Hey, <laughs> I thought I was good on Eurovision on Saturday night. Uh, Lampard restoring Mendy in goal. Why? Because he was culpable for the first goal again. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, Poch looks like he's coming in um, and that should be sorted over the next week. But we have been telling you that over the course of the last few weeks here on the Game Day podcast. Uh, Southampton nil, Fulham 2. Oh, here we go. Southampton are heading down. Crooks, uh, do you know what, Scott? It's been so funny this week uh, because uh, obviously, you know, we just spent a lot of time with a lot of different clubs talking to different people uh, in and around the Premier League. But the way this boy has cozied up to Brighton and Bournemouth over the last few months has been nothing short of scandalous. Absolutely scandalous. Do you know what as well? Because... He knows he's onto a bad thing with Southampton, so he needs to make sure his nest is feathered elsewhere. Absolutely. He saw what was coming a long time ago. I was listening to um, to Talk Sport on Saturday as well. He seemed to take great enjoyment when those goals went. He did. He did. <laughs> Not he at did. all. It's almost like he's turned. Not at all. I was painting the picture. But you know what? I did look, uh, I was looking through social media last night, and there's, a, there's an article clipping up uh, what we've been saying on this podcast in August. And the headline was, Crook warns of disaster unless Southampton bring in experience. Now, if I saw it coming in August, and Sam, you did as well, how did the powers at at St Mary's not realise that fielding a team of kids alongside James Ward-Prowse was not the recipe for Premier League survival? It's been a disaster. It has. And I remember you and I having a phone conversation. We'd um, just been told the plan of action. I think it might have even been before the summer because it was when Rasmus Ankerson and his new cohort had come in and there was a bit of a power struggle going on behind the scenes and we were sort of listening to that and being told that this is the plan that they're going to go with. And the first thing I said to you went, well, that's not a good idea. This is the Premier League. This is this is high standard. That's that's not going to work. And then, obviously, then as the season's unfolded, we've continued to sort of suggest that that's the case. I do think that they probably wouldn't have gone down in as dramatic of circumstances if Ralph Hasenhutter had just stayed in charge, but maybe that that had run its course. But the way the decisions that they've made have just been nothing short of scandalous, really. I mean, they've bought bad players, they've bought inexperienced players, they've made poor managerial changes, and that their strategy seems completely flawed. So ultimately, this has been a long time coming, and, and they they released the worst PR statement to come out of a club that's just been relegated in history Ridiculous. on Saturday night. Um, but and I'm not entirely sure. I'm convinced that they're that well equipped for promotion next season. Anybody else? Well, they're going to get some money in because uh, Wall Prowse will be sold. Lavia, I think it's wishful think- thinking to expect him to stay. Salisu and Bella Kotchak will go. Walker Peters will fetch a few quid. And and what you can't accuse the owners of is is a lack of investment. They've just spent their money really badly. Um, so I think financially they're well equipped. It's all about this managerial appointment. Jason Wilcox is coming in as director of football. I'm told that he is and scouting and recruitment. They, that that's important. Too. Yeah, yeah. But just getting the right manager, you know, someone with the authority, someone who the fans are going to take to. Russell Martin is a major contender, but already I'm seeing Southampton fans not happy with that. He only ever finishes mid-table in the Championship, but he plays the type of progressive possession-based football that they want. I think he would be a good appointment. I think Southampton fans have to get real if they think someone like Graham Potter or Brendan Rodgers is going to take this job because it just isn't going to happen. 
Well, that's not going to happen. Um, we probably should be a little bit um, careful about what we say about Southampton, Scott, bearing in mind that Crook and I also both suggested that Burnley might get double relegated and then they came back with uh, more goals than you can imagine and a brilliant performance. So, um, it, it, But they appointed the right manager who had great contacts and scouted very good players and, and came back bouncing. I mean, I suppose Southampton fans will be hoping that something like that happens to them. You've absolutely hit the nail on the head, both of you there, really. I, I think, you know, obviously recruiting is important, but the manager, you know, I, I was sort of in my head about back-to-back relegations or, or certainly Burnley struggling. Um, and yet what they did was a lot of players did go, they did recruit well, but they brought in a guy who, you know, I'm, I'm pleased to see him staying at Burnley, but I think he will go to the top. You know, it, you've got to be careful what you say nowadays because, you know, we've seen managers who have been great names and it's not quite happened for them. But you, you just get the feeling from the people that I've spoken to as well, the way he conducts himself, the meetings he has, how he talks, the um, the standards he sets are nothing short of sensational. So for Southampton, this is absolutely crucial. I think that in terms of, and again, as Cookie says, it's not about the owners not spending money. The money is there. They've got to get the right manager in place, recruitment. And I just don't, because it's not easy. People turn around and say, now look at Burnley. Oh, well, they've gone up, so we can go straight up. doesn't happen like that. Uh, interesting to see Vincent Company, by the way, at the Emirates on Sunday. Um, but not necessarily because he was watching Arsenal and Brighton. I can understand he's probably mates with Mikel Arteta from his time at Manchester City. And he just went and sat to watch the game because he knew it was going to be a high-level game and he wanted to take it in. But more worryingly for me was that he was sitting next to Roman Kemp, the guy off I'm a Celebrity and the guy who presents the breakfast show on Capitol. Now, Roman's a nice guy, but how did he get that ticket? That's like the best ticket in town. Roman should be sitting there mining Vincent for all the, the possible knowledge he can get out of him. And when I saw the picture of the two of them, Roman was just watching the game, not not not, not talking to Vincent. I mean, I'll be honest with you, maybe he chewed, chewed his ear off for about 45 minutes and, and, and ultimately Vincent was like, I've had enough now. Uh, but I remember the first time I ever met uh, Jose Mourinho in a social setting. Sam Allardyce, after about 20 minutes, pulled me to one side and went, could you just shut up? <laughs> <laughs> We've been telling you, you know what? for 20 years. <laughs> it's it amazing. Sam, you I, never know. If, you get, a, if you get a posh ticket, as I found out against Barcelona, if you're Gareth Southgate and you think you're going along for a quiet evening just to, just to take in a game, you don't know what imbecile could <laughs> end up sat next to you, do you? Oh, did, did you speak to Gareth? No, because you just spilt tea over him and stopped him from seeing the second goal, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, right, OK, let's round off the best of the rest of the weekend, starting with Spurs, whose uh, chase of Ulian Nagelsmann is over. Was it ever really on? And their hopes of European football are over too. Were they ever really on? Well, that's not entirely true, is it? Because despite Aston Villa beating them by two goals to one, I mean, there is still a chance that Spurs could sneak in and win a Conference League place. But it's seven away games without a win now for Spurs. Better go above them in the table. I mean, the relegation picture um, is not sorted any way, shape or form. But it's also very exciting at the uh, top of the table where anyone can get into those European places. I mean, Liverpool, Brighton, Tottenham, Villa, all arguing over, what, three places in the, uh, the Europa League and the Conference League. It's going to be quite exciting between now and the end of the season, I think. It does definitely keep the season alive. But the big story around Tottenham is Nagelsmann, right? Ruling himself out of the managerial hunt. Because ultimately, you know, Scott, Tottenham, 
very prestigious club, great supporters, always had a fantastic tradition of playing wonderful football, to Darius to do and all that, and Glenn Hoddle, the people that work there are are brilliant, and I know a lot of them personally, I've got a lot of friends who work behind the scenes at Tottenham, and I, there is a little part of me that sometimes wants them to begrudgingly be happy, nothing more than that, just happy, uh, because they're, they're nice people. However, however, Tottenham were never, ever going to appoint Julian Nagelsmann as their manager. That was never going to happen. Why on earth would he, who's just been quite spuriously sacked by Bayern Munich and no one can quite work out the real reason why, the man that's been chased by every top club in pretty much Europe over the course of the last couple of years, go to Tottenham, who haven't got a director of football. They don't spend anywhere near the sort of money that Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City spent, Real Madrid spent, and they don't win anything. Why would he go there? Why would that? That was never going to happen. No, it? I don't think it was. Um, in, in terms of Nagelsmann, it's interesting, isn't it? Because he was actually my number one choice for Chelsea. Because I, I, I see him as a really young, hungry manager who's been there at the top and perhaps you know knows what he wants and would he change a few things? Well, quite possibly. And Spurs is a club. If it was a, if it was a club on the up, if it was a, if it was a club that was willing to spend, you know, a lot of money to to get into and, and the owners have come in and said, right, we're going to do this in the same way that, you know, Chelsea's owners did. I, I could understand that because I think the project, you just said everything about Spurs with the stadium and the training ground and everything else on top is ab- Terrific. absolutely first class. But there's a big job to do there at Spurs. You know, the first of all, what, what's happening with Harry Kane, but even the rest of the team, there's not that many players Certainly you wouldn't put towards title winning or even top four next season. So there's a big change around that turnaround that needs to be done. And I just think Nagelsmann is, sees himself as as up there, one of the very best managers around the world. So no, it was never going to happen. Yeah. And that's the key thing, right? Whether or not he is or isn't going to be a revolutionary in the game of football, that's kind of irrelevant here. The fact is, is that he pitches himself at this level and Tottenham are at this level and that's the difference and I think he'll probably end up at Real Madrid in the summer and when he does it will look even more fanciful that Tottenham were never in the running for him I mean the idea that they turned around and said oh we weren't interested <laughs> is is absolute nonsense isn't it that's like turning around and you know when you're when you're a kid and you go up to the best looking girl in school and uh, you go up to her and you say do you fancy a date and she says what I don't even know you are. And you go, well, I was never interested anyway. Didn't want one. <laughs> never. It's a perfect analogy. And and you know what? It's, it it's a slightly strange briefing. I mean, they'll have done it because obviously they're going to turn to somebody else now. And if it was public knowledge, as it pretty much was, that they were in for Nagelsmann, then whoever they bring in knows that they probably weren't their first choice. And the Tottenham fans are going to know they're not going to be their first choice as well. But where do they go from here? Because... They never made any real advances to get Pochettino back. I know he was slightly surprised that call never came. Nagelsmann isn't going to happen now. Vincent Company, we know, was on their shortlist, has committed his future to Burnley. So at least in the short term, he's not going to go there either. Where do they go from here? Brendan Rodgers is, is someone that Daniel Levy has admired for a long time, as is Graham Potter, the two that we mentioned as not going to Southampton. How much damage did Potter do to his reputation at Chelsea? And will Tottenham fans accept on the face of it, a foul Chelsea manager. I think they're in disarray, Spurs. Absolute disarray. 50 days this has been going on. 50 days. 50 days. And they still haven't got a sporting director and they haven't got a manager and they haven't got a clue who they're going to appoint. And that's the problem. 
We can speculate all you like about who's going to be the new manager of Tottenham, but they don't know. And if they don't know, how are we, you know, we're not going to know. We're just guessing like everybody else at this moment in time. If I was to give them a three-man shortlist, Scott, I'd be suggesting Ruben Amarim from Sporting, probably Brendan Rodgers because of his knowledge of the Premier League, and Thomas Frank at uh, Tottenham at uh, Brentford, who are, I think they have thought about. I think he's on the list. I think he's someone that they've maybe just sort of tentatively made contact with. But I do think that they will sound out Graham Potter as well. And that would be a massive mistake. I don't think they'll appoint him for this reason. He's an ex-Chelsea manager. And they've appointed Antonio Conte. And they've appointed Glenn Hoddle. And they've appointed Andre Villas-Boas. And if they appoint another ex-Chelsea manager, the fans are going to go mad, right? So here's a bit of advice for Daniel Levy. Just for PR reasons, even if you think it's the right call, just don't do it. Yeah. Just don't do yeah, it. Because you, your PR ain't that great at the moment anyway. You, you can throw in Jose Mourinho there as well. And, and all those managers were very successful. I mean, Glenn is God you know, with, with with Spurs. So he is who he is. And everyone else, incredibly successful with, with a great CV. Look, I think Graham Potter, if he hadn't have gone to Chelsea, could well have been the next Tottenham manager if he was still at Brighton, should we say. But no, absolutely. Yeah. After being ex-Chelsea... And that would have been the better move for him, I think. Well, be, being ex-Chelsea and, and the rivalry they've got and the fact that it didn't go well, I think that would be the worst case. Ruben Amarin is an interesting one. You know, I know you're a big fan of his. I cover the Portuguese football. I think he's, you know, disgruntled at the moment where they are and what's happened. And, you know, with the players that went at the start of the season, which is why where they are in the league, but he showed how good he can be in the Europa League. Um, but I actually like Brendan. I do. I do. And I, I think you can almost forget what happened to a point at Leicester because I think he was so disgruntled. He was just chugging along, really. He'd, he'd lost his mojo. You could tell he wasn't the Brendan. Something like Spurs would bring that back, that spark. And I think he'd do a very good job there. But, you know, would the Spurs fans accept that? Because if we're saying Leicester's going down, you've got to massively put responsibility onto Brendan for that. Well, we'll see what happens over the fullness of time. In fact, it might be quite a long time because uh, Tottenham don't rush these things, do they? Let's be honest. Um, Manchester United 2, Wolves nil. Top four chances looking a lot rosier after that win. Anthony Martial with a terrific goal. Um, quick sign an extension to his contract group. <laughs> terrific goal tapped into an empty net from six yards out it was a good move I'm not sure we're going to give Martial too much credit I much prefer Ganacho's goal to be honest it, it was a good it was a good goal <laughs> it was a good goal it wasn't necessarily his role in it that was good it was just a good goal you're right about Ganacho what a terrific take that was and he's a bit of a he's a bit of a one isn't he you know we mentioned him before a couple of times and that he is a proper character like he's him. only 18 years of age he fancies himself something rotten, doesn't he? And I don't mind that. And and listen, no, no, um, not... I think he's going to be the future of the football club. I think Ten Hag at the moment is managing him in the right way. And I want to give Anthony a bit of credit as well, because I think he played well. I think he's been given unfair stick, not least from our own Gabby Agbon Lahore. I don't think his first season in England has been that bad. The numbers are OK. No. And I think he will get better. Um, the good news for uh, Manchester United as well is that they've got Ahmad Diallo, warming up nicely in the championship with Sunderland. And anyone who saw the playoff game on Sunday night saw him play terrifically. Yeah, he got booked for diving. But he curled in a brilliant free kick. Absolutely sensational. It wasn't really a free kick because the free kick had actually been taken and rolled to him. And then he burned it into the top corner. I mean, that is, that's a terrific asset to have, just bubbling along under the surface, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to go back to Garnaccio because, um, you know, blonde hair, tattoos, young kids, if you had that talent as on the football field, Sam, I could I could have seen you doing that 
obviously you've got that oh, I could definitely you've got that, that talent in the broadcasting but if you had that on the field <laughs> i could definitely <laughs> could have seen you as a young kid coming through all tattooed up that's definitely hair. that was definitely my look i i did have that that dyed blonde hair when i was about there you go maybe a little bit older than that there you yeah. go that do it again now I might have to. Um, right, okay. Uh, Monday night, Leicester against Liverpool is live from the Premier League on Talk Sport. If that's gone when you're listening to this podcast, don't worry because Inter Milan, AC Milan is on Talk Sport 2 on Tuesday night whilst we do the playoffs on Talk Sport. Wednesday night, Manchester City, Real Madrid. Thursday night, Newcastle, Brighton. What a big game that's going to be on Thursday. We'll be at St James's Park for that one. RZ against West Ham. The second leg is on Talk Sport 2 at the same time time uh, come on West Ham look let's, let's be honest let's lay our cards on the table we I want West Ham to get to a European final I want them to win a European final I'm desperate for West Ham to have a little bit of success I think David Moyes deserves it but also I'm going to Prague um, we'll see you later on The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.